and welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast. In this podcast series, we talk with C-suite executives about their views on tech disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Poonam Goyal, Senior E-Commerce Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, an independent equity research arm at Bloomberg. Today I have with me Nitsan Mikhail Babrov. He is the Chief AI Officer at eBay the largest marketplace for resale in the world and one that is accelerating its tech investments to drive ROI across many functions of its organization. Nitsan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Poonam. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. We're excited to have you. So I guess to get started, we want to learn a little bit more about you, your role at eBay, being the first AI officer, you know, a new role that's come up. And just tell us what exactly you do for eBay, what do you oversee, and what excites you the most at the company? Well, thank you. I'm glad to share my uh, bit of experience around being the first chief AI officer. And the best way to think about my scope is to think of it in terms of the contrast to how eBay was doing things uh, prior to me joining in 2021. So many companies, including eBay, had a chief AI scientist. And uh, that's still uh, by far more common. The reason that eBay decided to move to a chief AI officer instead of a scientist is because there was increasing awareness that it's very hard to drive impact and to really have a cohesive strategy if the science is separated from the engineering and from the product. And so that was why the decision was made to pull together these uh, various areas of AI, as AI has become um, not just an, a research area, but a real core part of the business and, and product strategy, as well as the te underlying technology strategy, by pulling it together under uh, a single remit, uh, we're able to really accelerate eBay's impact uh, with AI for buyers, for sellers, and also for our own employees. That sounds amazing. Um, you definitely are the first AI officer that I've met, so I'm excited to see more change coming to technology. But I guess, you know, I want to start talking about just why we need an AI officer and why it's so important in your role. You know, when we think about e-commerce, and we published a report recently in which we talk about just the acceleration and growth in e-commerce. We all saw the pandemic, right? There was a clear boost to e-commerce sales. But if you think about where e-commerce has come, pre-pandemic, we were talking about 10 to 15% of total retail sales, maybe. It ex has accelerated to now about a quarter of all retail sales. And we estimate that it can go to 33% of all retail sales. Those are big numbers. and. You know, e-commerce can add a trillion dollars, based on our estimates, to retail sales by 2027. That's from 2022. That's astronomical, and totally that would bring it to 2.55 trillion. So when you think about that growth and what's really driving that growth, I would argue that AI is probably one of the key drivers to enabling that growth in the next three to five years, and maybe even longer. So talk about, um, you know, as you think about AI and driving this growth, what do you think is really driving the adoption of generative AI? And can it lower the barrier to entry? Because e-commerce has a lower barrier to entry in general versus a typical brick and mortar store. Yeah, I think, um, I, by the way, I love hearing your 
research numbers because uh, it's very consistent with how we're thinking about accelerating the impact with AI. What's really interesting about uh, playing this role at eBay is we're a two-sided marketplace. So we have sellers and buyers, which gives me visibility into how AI can impact both sides of that equation, which of course e-commerce is all about um, both sides of that equation. We often think about the buyers, but uh, the sellers and the expansion and the definition of sellers uh, through that lower barrier uh, to entry, as you mentioned, is, is a key part of e-commerce growth as well, because putting together a brick and mortar store takes a lot more investment than selling things uh, online, whether it's uh, new things as a business or whether it's resale. Uh, to me, I think the key areas that e-commerce will has already been impacting uh, e-commerce uh, with AI and with that I expect to continue seeing in the next 12 to 24 months are generally in three buckets. Uh, the first bucket that I really think about in terms of sellers is helping sellers uh, grow their business much faster. Right now, there's such a diversity of products uh, on our platform, but just in general that's being sold online that uh, identifying the right information to give to buyers, identifying the right uh, pricing strategy, etc., is not a trivial task, and scaling that up to a sizable inventory is, is a big challenge that AI can help with, both in terms of generating intelligence, but also in terms of automating some of the processes. And we can double click on that, but obviously generative AI has a lot of potential for uh, automation of what previously has been human workflows. And the second bucket that uh, I think about a lot is for uh, buyers. And again, that same diversity of products makes it very diff or can make it very difficult for a buyer to find what they're looking for. Uh, AI and generative AI and large language models are already transforming how search is done, and that's just going to continue to accelerate. And I think the entire search paradigm um, is going to be turned on its head in the next 12 to 24 months. And then, of course, lastly, the, the third bucket that we think about a lot is um, internal uh, productivity for employees, which... Of course, for e-commerce companies uh, of all sizes, is going to be essential as an investment area in order to stay competitive. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. In fact, you know, when you talk about just removing that friction in both the buying and selling experience, and that long list of items, right? You walk into a store and you have a more customized view, and you have a finite amount of choices yeah. to choose from. That endless aisle online. When you get to page 10, you're almost like, okay, where is that item that I'm looking for? So it'll be really nice to see all the changes that come forward with AI and generative AI. But as you think about um, the future, what do you think is the step level change that we're seeing now from AI to generative AI? AI we've talked about for decades, right? And we still talk about it, but it's generative AI that I feel like is taking hold very quickly. And it's actually driving results, results that we can see. So share insight on that step level change um, based on how you look at it from your lens. So we 
there's been a lot of buzz around generative AI, but really the term can be a little bit misleading because the step change that we've all been feeling, frankly, uh, you know, my grandmother played with ChatGPT, and even she's feeling this sort of AI um, wave of change that previously the average person wasn't uh, experiencing firsthand. It can be misleading because it's not just about the fact that the models are generative models. Uh, generative models have been around since 2014, 2015, um, and of course they've improved massively now that these models, especially the large language models, are, are enormous in size. But there's it's more than just the fact that they're generative, it's also the fact that they are foundation models. And so I really think uh, when I talk about uh, the, this new wave of AI, I try to um, re-educate our own uh, internal folks on the fact that it's generative plus foundation models that is making such a big change. The foundation models and what that means is essentially these enormous, um, sort of hard to even grasp uh, in our mind, uh, the size of these models, these enormous models that have been trained on sometimes the entire internet, essentially uh, a huge, very varied uh, sets of data, uh, are able to generalize in a way that previous models uh, have not been able to. So if you've used some of these large language models, uh, you've seen this through a chat conversation, you've seen that it's hard to stump it. Um, it's relatively easy to get it to give you information that it is incorrect, that it's quote unquote hallucinating, but it still feels very human. It still feels, um, it's not nonsensical. It feels like a response that makes sense uh, because of that generalizability to uh, so many different topics. Uh, in addition to that, the performance itself with these foundation models is better than uh, previously was possible because there's uh, so many parameters in the size of these models. Those two uh, factors, the generalizability plus um, the better performance, have this kind of quasi-human feeling um, emergent property that uh, allows us to build solutions that can almost immediately uh, drive significant value without needing to do a ton of use case specific optimization. So that's really changing the paradigm of how AI solutions are built. Previously, any company the size of eBay or, or similar would have thousands, even tens of thousands of models for, for some of the larger companies, each one tailored to a very specific use case. That makes it hard to build and hard to manage. By changing how things are done, to, uh, where we have foundation a much smaller number of foundation models that can then be relatively easily fine-tuned to specific use cases using specific data and specific tasks means that we can get so much more uh, done quickly um, and it again lowers that barrier to entry and that's why you're seeing results really quickly it's, it feels like every day there's some new report on a fairly what feels like a game changer in terms of specific kinds of use cases in e-commerce 
driving real results for companies because they don't need to spend 12 months of R&D. They don't need to um, acquire an enormous amount of platform infrastructure to get this going. Yeah, that's impressive. So speed, efficiency is driving results and it's disrupting the marketplace. So let's talk a little bit more about the disruption. How do you think generative AI has been disruptive to your space specifically and then I guess to broader e-commerce as well? And even stories, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, the ability to generate content is um, definitely the top one or two sort of value drivers, and will continue to be in in the next um, in in the immediate future. Um, in our case, for sellers, what that means is it enables them to automate the process of listing creation, um, description generation, etc. So that can be based on their specific inputs, but it, we're able to provide them tooling that generates um, a lot of information uh, for them. Now, where this will go is beyond just the listing itself, right? There's more expert types of content that uh, we've launched as well where now we can scale up our ability to uh, provide educational information on every listing about the general category in which they're shopping so they can make much more informed decisions. Now, the second uh, part that I think is going to be uh, a game changer is not just not the content generation, but rather the um, natural language interaction. We've all gotten a little sick of chatbots, I think. I think the past maybe five years had an explosion in conversational assistance and chatbots, but they weren't, um, they definitely didn't feel human. Um, they weren't able to do nearly as much as we w want them to be able to do for us, and, and I mean this in general across all companies. Um, and that's going to change. I think the large language models are already making the conversational assistance so much more natural. It allows buyers to express what they're looking for in, in a much more natural way. And it's going to, as I mentioned, flip the search paradigm on its head where it's no longer about um, buyers trying to navigate and synthesize information for themselves across this whole plethora of, of search results, but rather the uh, site, the assistance, whatever way in which the experience materializes, brings the information and synthesizes it uh, for them in their own terms, on their own, in their own language, on their own terms. That makes sense. I mean, we all want to speak to someone where we feel like we're speaking to someone one-on-one, -on -one, right? And it's not an automated or a generated response. But you talked a little bit about this already, but I guess I want to dig a little deeper. If you can tell us how AI specifically is integrated into the eBay's business. I know you talked about the listing process, mm -hmm. the buyer experience, the seller experience, but maybe talk about what's unique in your own platform because it is the largest uh, in resale and it is a dominant player in the e-commerce space. So how do you leverage AI, implement AI at scale? So we were, um, in a way, I was fortunate to be part of a broader technology strategy um, that emphasizes 
a hybrid cloud uh, approach, meaning we operate one of the largest uh, private clouds in North America, but we're also connected to uh, Google, to uh, Microsoft's uh, public clouds. And what that allows us to do is make a uh, hardware investment that interestingly has become a real uh, blocker for many companies, the availability of hardware. Uh, even the public clouds are having challenges providing uh, all their customers the hardware they need. So we're able to make that investment on our own, but then also leverage the external commercial models like uh, on, on GCP as well as on Azure and OpenAI um, to create this hybrid large language model um, strategy. We're able to, uh, as I mentioned, fine-tune large open source and commercial models um, for various applications at a uh, massive scale and, and quite quickly. I'm amazed by uh, how quickly, as an example, we talked about the description generation. Within about three months of rolling that out um, using OpenAI's model, um, we were able to train our own um, open fine-tune on uh, with our own data on top of open source models and actually uh, outperform GPT-4 with a much smaller model, so it means it's faster and cheaper to run as well. Um, I think that strategy of being able to both do uh, things in-house and leverage external solutions has been uh, really important for us. What that's allowed us to do is roll things out for hundreds of millions of um, customers. On the seller side, we talked about listing generation, but on the buyer side, we have really been emphasizing the move from personalization to individualization. Um, if you think about the previous paradigm of even hyper-personalization, you had to generate variants in advance. And so you're limited, your personalization is always limited by the number of variants you can create. And even with approaches like uh, multi-arm bandits, et cetera, that use a large number of variants to tailor them to different personas, personalization in that way is not about a person but about a persona so it groups you into a persona or an audience what we're now able to do and have already launched um, a number of features uh, like this for buyers is the content that they're seeing is actually created on the fly um, when they're landing on the page and it's completely individualized it is unique no one else is seeing that exact same uh, piece of content that would never have been possible with the previous paradigm because you just couldn't create, at least in our case, we have hundreds of millions of buyers. We, you can't um, create uh, that number of variants for every kind of experience. And it's also less relevant because it's created at some point and then uh, is kept over a certain amount of time. Well, now we can generate it on the fly. But it does require that infrastructural investment that I talked about to be able to do that at the kind of scale that eBay is doing it. Yeah, and you talked a little bit about um, the seller experience, the magical listings, I think is what you call it, which I thought was a pretty neat feature to add and clearly removes friction out of the process for the sellers, getting more relevant items onto eBay and really improving that portfolio of options for the buyer. But when you, um, t maybe let's like dig a little bit deeper into some other examples. We talked about magical listing, but 
autos are a big category for eBay, and you have eBay Motors. So talk about how Gen AI plays in that auto category. You've done some really cool things there. And then maybe also for fashion, right? It's a growing category. Um, eBay's starting to do some cool things there. Love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, And those are very different categories. They are. And you can see the challenge for someone like me who's trying to build capabilities that can serve both, and they're so different from each other. Um, I'm just harking back to what I was saying about foundation models. So because these models can be so generalized, you can start seeing how that would enable us to serve both something like auto and fashion with the same underlying set of models. So thinking about motors and, and, and auto parts, um, a, a huge friction point for uh, buyers there is actually the fitment. Uh, element. So this is where uh, you really want to make sure that the parts that you're buying fit the car that you're working on. Um, there are so many parts that are very similar to each other, sometimes indistinguishable almost. Um, but they, but you have to uh, be sure that they're actually fitting uh, your car, and they're not. They're often not manufactured by the original manufacturer. So. Um, eBay has made big strides towards fitment guaranteed, meaning we really um, are putting our, our name behind the fact that we're guaranteeing the right fitment. Um, AI plays a big role there, including generative AI, where we can um, take the attributes that we know about from each uh, listing and generate the, uh, the, the more precise uh, description that we can match on our back end in terms of the, the uh, search results to make sure that what we're showcasing to buyers actually fits the, the, the car that they have and also fits with the other parts that they're buying. Um, similarly, what buyers can start moving away from, and we have a feature like this uh, launching uh, early next year, is they can move away from having the mission in their mind and then figuring out what they need. Let's say as an example, they're changing a, a carburetor. And you're gonna have to forgive me because I'm not a, a, motors, a motor head, so I, I'm not uh, as familiar. For listeners who hear me say something incorrect about uh, vehicles, you'll have to forgive me. But let's say you're, you're, you know you're changing a carburetor for uh, a Mustang. There are certain parts that you need, there are certain tools that you need. Um, what a buyer normally would need to do is research what are all the parts and tools that they need, um, identify those with specificity to, to match their vehicle, and then sort of go one by one and start assembling the cart to, to buy those. Um, instead, what they can move towards is telling us in their own language what is the mission that they're looking to do, in this case, change a carburetor for a Mustang, and we would understand that, uh, we as in the AI uh, at eBay, and pull for them, A, what is needed, B, what are the different options to buy for each, uh, por each element of that uh, buying mission, and then sh p show them in a way that makes it very easy for them to make the, the choice. They don't have to sift through thousands and thousands and thousands of listings to identify all the different parts. It also brings that expert content to bear. We at eBay have 
decades at this point of data on the various purchases, uh, what fits with what, uh, and we can train models that can bring that uh, value to customers without them needing to uh, do any of that research on their own. And I think that's really a key differentiator, right? The history that you have with the data because you can run models on data, but the output is only as good as the input. And you have such large databases of buyer trends, of seller trends, of what works, what doesn't work through reviews or just in general that you can actually give a result that would, for the most part, be the right one. And I'm not sure if you've shared this or not, but when you do you know, provide this output for this Mustang, the parts that are needed, what is the accuracy in your recommendation and how has that helped improve results? Because autos is a big, big category at eBay. It's one of your focus categories and um, it's one that you actually outperform in. So we've, we always ensure that the accuracy is at least as good as the, the uh, previous solutions. Um, which could be more basic models or uh, more advanced ones. What's nice about the uh, new approaches to especially large language models is also the ability to have that feedback loop through reinforcement learning. And so that pipeline of feedback continuously improves the model. The way we roll these features out, we actually start usually with our own employees, and sometimes that can be done at a relatively large scale because we do have thousands of employees. And then we will release it to a uh, expanding group of either sellers or buyers. We don't go out and just release this to, to the whole uh, audience. And so by the time it gets released at uh, a broad scale, we have done a number of um, iterations as well as continuous improvements through reinforcement learning so that the uh, accuracy of the model has already been estimated and uh, improved on. So that's autos. What about fashion? Very different. Very different. So there's a lot of, um, there's some elements that you can uh, imagine applying here as well, but I will say for fashion, what has been really exciting is uh, not so much the large language models, as they do play a role, but rather the visual content generation. When uh, people talk about generative AI, they often are thinking about the language side of it. But there's been huge advances with foundation models in stable diffusion and some other approaches on the visual content side. Uh, models are now able to generate uh, photorealistic content, photographs that are indistinguishable from real photographs. Uh, so we can create uh, content for really enhancing the site in that way. So I'll give some examples from fashion. Um, historically, we've had a challenge to bring this, um, the experience, the quality of the experience, to the level we wanted it to be because we had to rely solely on images from our sellers, from listings. And there's such heterogeneity in size and quality and angle and lighting, etc. It's very hard to have a curated feel to the experience. What we're able to do now with generative AI is really up the, the quality um, and to have everything feel like a curated experience. 
um, by using these um, new methods. So we can create lifestyle imagery as an example and show how uh, a pair of genes looks on models of different body uh, shapes. We're able to uh, allow a user to actually specify what kind of body shape they want to see the product on. We're able to uh, show the user what different elements of apparel looked like together. Um, so that's been really exciting, and there's been some launches there already, but that's going to massively expand next year. Now, we're also able to couple that with the large language models and actually uh, identify what your style is, uh, you as a buyer, what uh, your various uh, styles are. And again, I'm not a, a fashionista, so you'll have to forgive me when I use uh, incorrect terms, but there are actually tens of thousands of these styles that emerge very quickly. That we think, I think of style as being, you know, a fairly limited number of categories of sort of formal, informal, etc. But it's actually for f uh, people that are really uh, passionate in the in the fashion category. There's many, much more nuanced than that. Um, I think Barbie Court was one of the late latest styles that emerged with the with that movie that came out. Um, what we're able to do is identify the uh, various styles that you're interested in with large language models by looking at the listings that you've been interested in and then use the generative, uh, the sorry, the visual generative models um, to generate lifestyle imagery and visualize what an assemblage of products in that style looks like and different body shapes. So it's really combining these different modalities together. And just as a teaser, on top of that, we throw in sort of computer vision and visual search, and now you have a system of AI that's using different modalities to create a very cohesive experience that gives customers um, synthetic imagery generated by AI together with real product imagery, together with um, sort of stylistic predictions and personalization. That makes sense, and that's all key to improving that conversion that's very low online, right? So these new images, these more holistic shopping experiences do help improve conversion, and that's the goal. But how do you prioritize where you make these AI investments? We talked about autos. You're now investing in fashion to improve that, but there's so many categories on eBay. So what goes first? What goes last? How do we know? So obviously the um, expected commercial performance matters, right? So we think about the scale of the category, we think about the size of the audience that this would impact, etc. So those metrics are key and we they're measured or I should say estimated in a similar way that other non-AI uh, features are estimated and prioritized. But I think what's really fun about working at eBay is that even all the way to Jamie, our CEO, um, there's an additional layer of emphasis that has been equally important, and that's this magical uh, element. And I use quotation there, but the term uh, magical listing that you mentioned, I didn't actually come up with that. I had a much more boring and bland <laughs> title. I think I called it automated listing. You could, so the, obviously the scientist in the room is not gonna choose the best name. Um, it was actually our CEO, Jamie, that said, this should be magical. Call it magical listing because that's what 
buyers and sellers want to see. They want to, when they have an AI powered experience, it should feel magical to them. It should be surprise and delight to sort of the nth degree. And that's been really fun because in our prioritization, it's not just about the um, short term metric that it drives, but it's also about changing, um, reinventing eBay and reinventing the kinds of experiences that we uh, deliver. Our um, technology strategy hasn't um, uh, has been paying off dramatically with uh, the recent advances in AI, and that's letting us create experiences that just feel really different to our customers and feel quote unquote magical. So that's been really an equal priority when we think about which of these use cases to take on. I like magical over automated, so. Yes. That is a great I choice. I can't take credit for it. <laughs> Though I guess, where are you investing now? You talked about how and you know you prioritize investments, but what are the categories that we should be seeing have change at eBay, change that will improve conversion? Yeah, so um, we, AI should be an enabler of the business strategy. It's not, um, it should not be separate from it. So eBay has, has been talking a lot about our focus category strategy. And there are a number of, um, a relatively large number at this point of categories that uh, we've been building experiences uh, that are very customized and tailored to those categories. So things like collectibles, things like fashion, things like luxury, uh, sneakers, you know, these are categories that uh, we've seen uh, be emphasized at eBay. The AI strategy is is directly underneath that business strategy. How do we enable those advances forward? So we're investing in large language model based um, improvements to uh, search, to recommendations, to um, the way in which uh, customers do product discovery, etc. And we're also investing in these visual content-powered experiences, particularly in categories that are highly visual. So fashion, luxury, those are very visual categories, and it makes a ton of sense there to bring those to life in a, in a highly visual way. Um, collectibles is another one. Um, but then in addition to those, what you'll see is um, us being able to bring the intelligence that we have about these categories and about specific items um, on our site uh, in front of customers, sellers and buyers, so that they can make uh, really the best purchase decisions and have the confidence in their purchase decisions that is needed. We have all this data, as you mentioned, we have close to three decades worth of data, but it has historically been very hard to uh, bring those to customers to drive value for them with AI now, we're able to um, orders of magnitude more easily uh, synthesize that data, drive insights, bring those to customers directly um, across all of these focus categories so they can um, make trade-off decisions so that they can make uh, better, uh, they can make pricing decisions with all the information that they need so they can uh, identify what would fit best, et cetera. So all of this data now 
un, and unstructured, by the way, can now be brought to bear to create value for customers. That makes sense. We're clearly seeing the focus on your focus categories. But I'm going to shift focus a little Please. to LLMs and the experiences that they enable. How has AI changed the e-commerce industry in your view? And what do you think is on the horizon for platforms and the shopping experience as we move forward? So um, I'll try to not have this sound too philosophical, but I do think it really is a paradigm shift that will impact how people engage with um, digital assets. Uh, in the case of e-commerce, that's really about uh, products discovery and search, right? Um, but it's broader than just e-commerce. Uh, for us, what um, is going to drastically change, what is already changing and will drastically change next year, is the ability for customers to find what they're looking for, as I mentioned, um, in natural terms without needing to know how to search on eBay specifically really, really well. So, um, you know, folks that have been buying on eBay for 20 years, they know all the keywords, they know all the ins and outs, they know all the filters, they know how to drill down. But what this does, it allows us to really broaden our reach. Um, there's a lot of new customers out there that um, we actually think in some categories like pre-loved fashion. Um, a younger uh, sort of Gen Z audience would, I think, be hugely enthusiastic about that category. But how do we make it easy for them to navigate across eBay, find what they're looking for, etc.? So this sort of shopping assistance, which will show up as a shopping assistant, but will also show up in the core experience as well, um, is going to um, really open up our uh, open up the ability to navigate and use eBay um, and drive uh, benefit from the massive unstructured inventory that we have. Our business model has been both a blessing and a curse for the past 25 years. We have always had it in our DNA that we let, we want to enable people to sell anything. And that has meant a huge diversity of products on our site that means buyers know that whatever they're looking for, they can find on eBay and they can often find it at the best value. But how do they find it, right? That's has been the flip side of that same coin. It's all very unstructured because when you allow anyone to sell anything, it's not a catalog-based business model. It's unstructured listings. That has been um, very challenging to work with that data and to uh, create step change value from that data. Now with AI and with uh, large language models in particular, we're already seeing really quick results. So we talked, again, I'll, I'll reference that LLM example in the description generation. We set up our large language model development center um, just in, in May. And as a, within three months, we had a model that was able to generate descriptions with uh, I think 90% uh, uh, high CSAT scores from sellers. 
um, outperforming GPT-4 in spite of the fact that those models are so massive, we're able to use our data to just sit right on top of it and make this this transformational value. Data is definitely key in what you're doing. You have three decades of data and you talked a little bit about this, but I guess help us understand how eBay is leading in specific areas of AI development and usage. The data I'm sure helps, but is it just the data or is it more than that? So we we made this year and will continue to make next year a, a very large infrastructural investment. Um, and that's allowing us to uh, build or I should say, uh, fine-tune models at a much larger scale than most companies. But it will also enable us to do more than fine-tuning, to build, uh, uh, to train models at a much more foundational level um, in order to take the lead in the space of large language models in e-commerce. And that's really where we think we have a massive advantage. Because of our scale, Um, which allows us to make those infrastructural investments, but also because of the e-commerce, the variety of e-commerce data that we have um, that hardly any, virtually no one else has. So that's one area that um, LLM specifically for e-commerce, we we, um, have thrown down the gauntlet, so to speak, and are are, uh, expecting... Uh, ongoing uh, launches next year and to really be taking the lead from a technology development. In addition to that, we are doing work on the uh, content gener- on the visual content generation that um, is allowing us to scale up things like visual diffusion in a way that um, can't be done otherwise. We, we are optimizing the parallelization of those models and how they use the GPU um, uh, hardware themselves so that we can run a lot more of these models in parallel and we can do it for uh, a a massive audience the size that eBay has, which no company right now um, is, is really doing. So we think on the visual content side, we have a real opportunity there to uh, take the lead in the model infrastructure, so to say, the model architecture and the underlying infrastructure to be best in class there. That makes sense. So how do leaders in the space look at eBay and then use that as an example to decide whether they should build and buy, build or buy? We've always heard, you know, technology is expensive and setting up this infrastructure for maybe bigger organizations is an easier task, but for the smaller ones, it's very difficult. So help us understand when to build or when to buy. I think it always has to be build and buy. But And I will also say for an organization our size and larger, it is still very challenging. Um, do, doing this type of AI at scale in real time is still a massive undertaking and challenge for companies of all sizes, including the large tech companies that are uh, providing these as commercial solutions. They themselves um, have challenges meeting the demand. So uh, when a, a company of any size is thinking about build versus buy, I think they have to first uh, look at the timeline that they want to 
release something at. There are many use cases where it makes sense to um, buy or rent, maybe that's the better way of saying it, um, but to use an external solution in order to accelerate the launch and learn what resonates with customers. We have launched some features that we've shut down with AI that just because they didn't resonate with customers. If you can um, buy your way into launching a larger number of use cases relatively quickly and learn what resonates before you start making the big investment needed to build a similar, even better solution in-house, that will always uh, be beneficial because you're limited you're much more limited in what you can buy, in what you can build than in what you can buy. Um, then once you've learned what are the two or three real game changer use cases, you could make the investment internally that would be needed. And then that investment doesn't necessarily need to be quite as large. Um, there are also hybrid sort of somewhere between build and buy where you have dedicated uh, capacity um, on some of the uh, public clouds where you can do more than if you're purely using their solution as is, it is more secure as well given the, the dedicated uh, aspect of it. Um, but it doesn't cost as much in the long in, in the short run as completely buying the entire tech stack yourself or sorry building the entire tech stack yourself. That makes perfect sense. I want to talk about now the future, the look ahead. What are some areas of opportunity for eBay, and what experiences do you expect to see more in the coming year for the e-commerce industry? So I am really excited about what's happening and what we're doing as well in the space of agents, um, AI agents, which isn't quite synonymous with large language models, but has a, a, a big overlap. Um, I think we are seeing more and more unlocking of the ability to wire up agents to actually uh, make function calls and take certain actions on behalf of customers. I think you will see a lot of that next year and that kind of shopping assistance is something that we're investing in as well. And I'm really excited to uh, see how customers engage with it because our agents will be tailored with knowledge of specific focus categories that enthusiasts um, want to engage with uh, in a way that uh, other shopping assistants just won't have access to. The Beyond next year, I think we're going to see more agent autonomy start coming in where uh, instead of purely uh, having the agents execute tasks, we're able to specify outcomes and then they identify what tasks to take and actually explore different approaches to accomplish that outcome. Um, that way we can uh, enable, for example, negotiation between buyers and sellers. Just as an example, we can enable um, much more uh, dynamic kinds of uh, experiences that don't require uh, nearly as much pre-specificity. The reason that I'm saying more of that, not next year, but the year after, even though we are experimenting with this uh, already, is it's really important to have the right guardrails in place. Um, the, I would, the generative AI 
uh, wave is amazing, but it is creating new risks that we're just not um, as familiar with in general. All of us are not as familiar with. And so proceeding with some degree of caution, having the right guardrails in place, we've actually set up a generative responsible AI program as part of our overall responsible AI program because it has its own unique considerations. Um, that is an essential prerequisite, be, especially before going into anything like autonomous agents. So uh, that's why I see that progressing, but I see it scaling up more the year after next. That makes sense. And I was just about to ask you about guardrails, so you answered that first, so thank you. And last question, since we're coming to the close of our conversation, why should people embrace the AI disruption? The I think the simplest answer is it is here. Like any big technological change, it can be scary. It can be a little, uh, put us all a little bit out of sorts because it has such massive transformational potential. But it is here and it's here to stay. And for companies that want to remain competitive, it's an inevitability that they absolutely have to embrace this technology. Um, for consumers, I would say, it is, and all of us are both, I, I'm, I'm a producer of AI, but I'm also a consumer when I'm interfacing with other platforms. Um, I think it can be very um, engaging, fun, it can help me do things much quicker. It, it, it's already creating a lot of value for, for myself and for many of us, right? Um, but it, it's also very reasonable to want to be very, to stay informed and to know what it is that um, companies are doing with AI uh, for me or on my behalf. And so um, staying engaged, staying um, educated, and making sure also that companies are transparent um, is, I think, the best way for consumers to really um, be part of this transformation rather than just sort of passive receivers of it. Um, what's really striking about the um, model, the foundation model training at scale and the reinforcement learning is the actual consumer is part of the creation of the AI ecosystem. Um, we're not just passive recipients, as we engage with the AI, it gets better. And so in that way, we are all engaged in the creation of this ecosystem. And so embracing it on your own terms, in the ways that you want AI to drive value for you, I think is, um, is very powerful and, and a much better experience than um, just kind of accepting it as is. I agree with you. When change is good, you move forward with the change. Thank you so much for being here today and speaking to us about your AI journey at eBay and the many changes that it has brought and will continue to bring. We're very excited to see what eBay does next. Thank you for all your insights. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Have me again, please. This was great. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you.